0: full of a baby's venom. The women in the house knew it, and so did the children. For years, each put up with the spite in his own way. But by 1873, Setha and her daughter Denver were its only victims. These are the opening lines to Toni Morrison's 1987 novel, Beloved.
1: So it was disorientation and a kind of telescoping out from this strange address to by the end of that paragraph, you know, the year, 1873, um, it, it, it's a way of bringing you telescopically um, into a whole world. And the, the skill of that writing to accomplish that in, you know, just a few sentences, I was hooked. I'm Amy Hungerford. I'm a professor of English and comparative literature at Columbia University and dean of the faculty there as well. This baby is spiteful because she is dead. She was Setha's daughter, but Setha killed her years
0: earlier, not out of hate, but out of love. Toni Morrison's story is inspired by the true story of a woman named Margaret Garner. Garner was born into slavery, but escaped with her child when she was 22. When the slave catchers found her, Garner killed her own child rather than have her return to slavery.
1: So when, when Setha makes a choice, that terrible choice um, to take the life of her baby, you feel the way that a whole world has conspired to make that horrific act seem like a choice. Beloved is
0: a story about possession, pain, and the psychological effects of slavery.
1: The magic is much... Deeper than a genre or a technique. It's um, really the magic of seeing the world in a palimpsest of time with um, connections between human lives and human consciousness that transcends even particular embodiments, particular people. That's the magic that Morrison was creating on the page.
0: Welcome to Writ Large, a podcast about how books change the world. I'm Zachary Davis. In each episode, I talk with one of the world's leading scholars about one book that changed the course of history. For this episode, I sat down with Professor Amy Hungerford to discuss Toni Morrison's Beloved. Toni Morrison was born in 1931 in Lorain, Ohio. From an early age, stories were a part of her life. Morrison's parents exposed her to a variety of African-American folk tales and music, She was an avid reader and particularly enjoyed works by Jane Austen and Leo Tolstoy. She earned a BA from English from Howard University and a Master of Arts from Cornell University. For the next 10 years, Morrison taught English at Texas Southern University and Howard University. She got married and then divorced and had two children. While teaching at Howard, Morrison began to experiment with writing fiction. She joined a group of writers who met periodically to discuss their work. By the mid 1960s, Morrison left teaching and became the senior editor in the fiction department for the
1: publisher Random House. And she was the first black woman to be hired as an editor, and she made significant acquisitions for that publisher. Um, She published Gail Jones, um, she published Henry Dumas, Huey P. Newton, Muhammad Ali, Angela Davis. The period when Toni Morrison was an editor at Random House, the number of Black writers published was notably higher than after she left. So she had a real impact bringing these very important voices into American publishing and and into world consciousness through their work.
0: While working at Random House, Morrison began writing her first novel, The Bluest Eye. To find time between her job at Random House and raising her two children alone, Morrison would wake up every morning at 4 a.m. to write. She published The Bluest Eye in 1970, when she was 39.
1: I think she um, became a writer later in life, having done that work with a kind of knowledge that most young writers just don't have, both of readers and their thinking, but also having thought deeply about the world as an adult, as a mature human being, um, and understanding race in a way that um, race and its role in American experience in a way that was really quite remarkable.
0: The Bluest Eye takes place in Morrison's hometown of Lorraine, Ohio. It is the story of a young African-American girl named Pecola who grows up in the years following the Great Depression. Throughout her youth, Pecola is called ugly because of her dark skin, As a result, she desires blue eyes, a feature she equates with whiteness.
1: And you can see there the same kind of political analysis or understanding of American um, culture, of racism in American culture. That's very much at the forefront of that novel. Um, And, you know, it, it shows all the marks of her work, deep compassion for a wide variety of characters. In addition to The Bluest
0: Eye, Morrison published three other novels before Beloved, Sula, Song of Solomon, and Tar Baby. In 1983, she left publishing to focus more time on her writing. She also began teaching English again at various universities, eventually landing at Princeton, where she would remain until her retirement.
1: You know, for a long time, she taught creative writing at Princeton, and she had a Kind of different vision of what that looked like. She she called her workshop an atelier, <laughs> um, a, a place for the creation of art, um, for the stitching together of um, of new work, and the exploration of um, writers. You know, I think Princeton was an institution that um, she inhabited for a long period of time. Um, and it, it must have been um, satisfying to her in some way for her to continue. She did not need t- to be associated with a university. Um, but her, the, the sense of her as, um, as a teacher, you can feel it in the writing as well.
0: Morrison wrote Beloved in 1987. It was her fourth novel, Would you mind for readers who have never read this to tell us what the story is um, as a whole and kind of how the story proceeds?
1: So Beloved is a novel that was inspired by a newspaper clipping and the the clipping actually itself appears at a certain point in the novel. Um, It was the clipping of uh, from a newspaper, 19th century newspaper. Um, that told the story of this woman, Margaret Garner, who um, when the slave catchers came to get her, um, killed her own child rather than have that child be returned to slavery.
0: Margaret Garner was born into slavery in Kentucky. In 1856, when she was 22 years old, she escaped with her family and fled north to the free state of Ohio. They found refuge with Garner's uncle. Although Garner and her family members were in a free state, They weren't completely safe. By law, any runaway enslaved person had to be returned to their enslavers. And that's what happened. U.S. Marshals found the Garners. But before they could arrest the family, Margaret Garner killed her two-year-old daughter Mary with a butcher's knife. She prepared to kill her other children and herself, but she was arrested before she could do so.
1: So Morrison takes this enigmatic scrap of history, and she fully embodies this woman whom, to whom she gives the name Setha, um, and uh, she tries to create the human being that, um, that would find herself at that juncture and take that action.
0: Unlike Garner, the main character Setha and her family were really free. Beloved begins in 1873, and at that point, slavery was abolished in every state. Setha lives in Cincinnati, Ohio, with her 18-year-old daughter, Denver. But then something mysterious happens.
1: A young girl turns up um, and follows Setha home, essentially, and becomes part of her family. And Setha calls her beloved, or she calls herself beloved, and Setha um, accepts that name. Setha's other daughter, Denver, who is also with her. Um, comes to love Beloved as a sister. And then it turns out that Beloved, this, you know, young girl foundling, seems to know things about Setha, about her history. She has a very odd way of talking, as if she were somehow unformed mentally, um, or young, or childlike, even babylike. And so this story unfolds, and... Um, we learn that Beloved is is somehow the incarnation of the child that Setha has killed. Years
0: earlier, Setha was enslaved at a Kentucky plantation called Sweet Home. As in the real-life story of Margaret Garner, Setha escaped with her family and fled north to Cincinnati. She was discovered by slave catchers, but before they could arrest her, she grabbed her children, ran to the woodshed, and tried to kill all of them instead of having them be returned to slavery. But like Garner, Setha only managed to kill one of her children, a two-year-old daughter. The spirit of this daughter has come back and now inhabits Beloved's body.
1: Now also coming to Setha's house is a man named Paul D., who was one of the men enslaved at Sweet Home, the plantation where Setha and her husband and her family were also enslaved. And Paul D. comes to find her um, after slavery has ended, and wants to to start a life with her, had always uh, been a, a bit in love with her, and he comes back to find her. Um, they become a couple. Um, and they begin to try to love each other in in a way that is possible under freedom. Uh, rather than under slavery. That's the basic plot. Um, and and what I would say um, the basic theme is, or the preoccupation of the novel is, how can one human being love another in freedom? What does it mean to be a free human being? And, and what are the implications of freedom for love?
0: Where, where is the novel set? In what time period, and and what is going on with, um, w- with Black Americans and the relationship to the state and regimes of uh, of oppression?
1: So it's you know 1870s 1880s Ohio. This is a place where um, Black communities formed after the Civil War and the disruptions of of escaping to the North. So it it has a kind of Um, history of that, um, of being a place where freedom could be attained.
0: Slavery was officially abolished in the United States in 1865. Although this was a step towards legal freedom for many enslaved people in the U.S., life for Black Americans was far from peaceful.
1: There are a lot of racial tensions just because of the history of, you know, white racism, white supremacy. So the Black residents are impoverished. Um, They have to stick together. They're still subject, um, if not to slavery, to segregation, the beginnings of Jim Crow at the end of, of Reconstruction. So all of that is part of the reality in which Seth and her family and their community operate.
0: Morrison explores the notions of freedom and possession through Beloved, who wants to possess Seth's life because Setha possessed hers.
1: So the baby is enraged at having had her life taken from her. Rightly so. Any human being should be enraged by that. Um, and yet, when Beloved returns, what she wants is some strange amalgamation of both revenge on her mother <laughs> for having taken her life, possessed it in a way that slavery, you know, ha- shared that logic. One human being can possess the life of another. Well, in a way, that's what Setha does when she takes the life of her child. Um, so the baby is enraged, and the baby also is hungry, endlessly hungry for her mother's love. And it's in the latter, which ends up sort of eating almost in a literal way, like um, Beloved can't get enough sweets and Setha just keeps trying to feed her more and more things and she becomes huge. And in the end, she she becomes uh, uh, pregnant. She sleeps with Paul D. And by the end of the novel, she's sort of this monstrous, pregnant, um, embodied form of this vengeful baby Um, and, And that vengeful baby wants love. And Morrison, in unpacking the emotional mechanisms of this and making it into this incredible drama of possession, she shows what adult love should look like, how it needs to differ from that in order to be Sustaining to the dignity of a free adult woman or a free adult man.
0: Even though Setha is no longer enslaved, she isn't yet free. Her life is still possessed by beloved.
1: What is transformed is Setha's ability to love herself. She says to Paul D, My children were my best thing. And Paul D says, No, Setha, you are your own best thing. That to me is what Morrison is saying about love in freedom. That in freedom you own yourself, and that there was a way in which Setha's mother love, and this is kind of a radical idea, and I and, and I don't know what one should think about it, but that there's a, a way in which mother love, um, the love of the child above the love of self is related to a form of slavery, of not owning yourself and when so so when Paul D says, "You are your own best thing," she's called to value herself and not to be possessed by anyone, not even her own child.
0: Do you think that beloved does come? To that state, does she does she develop the kind of self love and and I guess healthy relationships with others that you know that that Morrison seems to be interested in? <laughs>
1: no, <laughs> she does not. Um, she has to be banished by the end. What Morrison shows us is that this power is so excessive. That in the end, when imbued with a kind of supernatural, um, seductiveness, only the, the collective, the, um, the collective of a community can, can sort of protect Setha in the end from this monstrous, uh, returned baby.
0: When Setha took her baby's life, her community shunned her. But when Beloved comes back, the community comes to Setha's rescue.
1: The community watches what is happening to Setha at Beloved's hand. They hear through whispers and gossip what's going on. And finally, the community comes together and they say, "This is enough is enough. This baby, this returned angry baby, has no right to take the life of this woman, no matter what she's done. And there are a couple of women in the group that go at the end to exercise, to perform a kind of exorcism at Setha's house, um, who remember being the victims of um, repeated rape by their um, enslavers. And they remember hating the children born of those rapes. And it's it's a kind of activation of um, the complexities, even of mother love of giving birth under the conditions of abuse and slavery, and that power um, motivates them to go and sing in a in a in a community um, gathered around Sufa's house, and it's their singing together that drives this baby to vanish.
0: Beloved immediately became Morrison's most acclaimed work. In 1987, it was nominated for the National Book Award, and in 1988, it won the Pulitzer Prize in Fiction. It was adapted for film and starred Oprah Winfrey. Beloved is still a young work, but its cultural influence can already be seen in how we think about identity and our relationship with the past.
1: I certainly see the influence of Beloved on... Um, how writers make free with things like the transmission of memory across time. It's a very powerful tool today and, a, and one that people, I think, are hungry for. So I think her work and the, the way this novel um, made it believable, that you could have a memory that belonged to somebody else. I think it has joined a cultural effort to connect with the past in a profound way that um, can really form people and their identities. I, th- I think today's thinking about how identity works and how we relate to the past, especially in the US, um, I think it owes a debt To the imaginative work that Beloved did. For writers, it certainly blazed the way for a kind of ensemble novel that brought the community to life. You can see this in, you know, Louise Erdrich um, does it for Native communities and returns to characters, you know the the dedication to represent in fiction communities rather than just a protagonist, that I think has been really important uh, in American fiction particularly. Um, and that so th- that's something that I think she she showed us not only how to do it, but why it was critically important to do that.
0: Is there a genre name for Morrison's writing?
1: I sometimes like to um, call Morrison's work um, postmodern, and uh, that's not what most people think postmodernism is. Um, most people think of a, a set of white experimental writers, usually male, as what postmodernism is. But why, you know, why would I call uh, Toni Morrison postmodern? Because she takes 19th century forms, she deploys experimental techniques developed in high modernism by Joyce um, and others, Faulkner. She's often compared to Faulkner. Um, and she combines those things with a late 20th century, very sophisticated deeply lived analysis of what it means to be Black in America, what it means to inhabit this society after that history or in that history. Gosh, that's of the moment. She takes all the resources of two centuries of literary accomplishment in American letters, and she turns those to new uses and makes something entirely her own of it. To me, that's postmodern. <laughs> we're, we're We're sort of back in the 19th century and yet way beyond it.
0: Through Beloved, Morrison shows readers how possession of one's life can lead to the destruction of their identity. She illustrates how past traumas impact present life, specifically the traumas of slavery. She writes in the preface to Beloved, "...in trying to make the slave experience intimate, I hoped the sense of things being both under control and out of control would be persuasive throughout." that the order and quietude of everyday life would be violently disrupted by the chaos of the needy dead, that the Herculean effort to forget would be threatened by memory desperate to stay alive.
1: There was a time, you know, when I first came to this novel in, in the early 90s, um, where she was understood, you know, as a feminist writer, as a um, a writer of, quote, ethnic fiction, um. And truly, I think in this moment, and because of the incredible um, psychological and spiritual understanding of human beings that uh, you find throughout her novels, um, she really reaches beyond those those framings. And, and the stories are classic. They're tragedy and comedy Um characters with fatal flaws. I mean, these are the, the deep um, resources of literary culture, of storytelling. Let's put it that way, storytelling. She is a storyteller, uh, I think, for all time. Um, the times have changed a lot since, you know, since Song of Solomon was published, since Beloved was published. Um, but boy, she understood the durable realities of race in America. Those are not going to change, even if we um, move to better places. Um, But those underpinnings don't change. And her understanding of them and ability to capture them in art, uh, that is something that we will need to return to for a long, long time. And when we're done with that, which maybe someday we will be done with that, uh, we'll want to return for the storytelling, for, you know, for all the human riches that she has given us in those novels.
0: Writ Large is produced by Jack Pombriant, Liza French, and me, Zachary Davis. Script editing is by Galen Beebe. We get help from Farron Do. Our theme song is by Ian Koss. And our branding is by Dan Petschy. We're a member of Lithub Radio. Ritlarge is a Lyceum original production. You can find us on our website, writlarge.fm. There you'll find transcripts, links to the books we discussed, and more information about today's guest. Thanks for listening. See you next time.